Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Saving starts with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hi, I'm Pete Buttigieg, and this is The Deciding Decade. As someone who became very politically engaged in college, I've been thinking about how different it might be for young people growing up in the Trump era who were interested in civic engagement. I think about my own experience during the Bush era. It didn't feel like the world was on fire in the same way it does today, but at the time, I did viscerally feel what was going on with our international relations, our economy, and worried about what our future would look like. What does it look like today for young people who are watching the profound dysfunction in our highest office? I'm particularly curious about what the landscape looks like to those who have participated in or been shaped by the enormous wave of protests and grassroots activism that's taken place over the last few months. Does that push them towards or away from government? Or do they think about it in a different way entirely? Today is the second of our sub-series of brief episodes where we are featuring young next-generation leaders who are not only going to play key roles in shaping the decade ahead, but already making a big impact through their activism today. 
Rene Otero was featured in Boys State, a documentary that follows the Texas teenagers who attend the American Legion's annual Boys State Conference, a program that teaches young men about government through a week-long simulation of electoral politics. It was filmed in 2018 when Rene was in high school, and it's worth noting that a year later, 2019, he placed first in extemporaneous speaking at the National Speech and Debate Association's national tournament, becoming his school district's first national champion and the first African-American to win the title. And the speech that got him that title was entitled, Should Political Leaders Focus First on Political Empowerment or Economic Equality, which is one of the things I'm looking forward to talking to him about. Rene is now a student at the University of Texas, Austin, where he is double majoring in international relations and black studies. He's an undergraduate research fellow at UT Center for the Study of Race and Democracy and on UT's speech team. Rene, great to see you and thanks for taking time to get together. Thank you so much. So, you know, like a lot of Americans, I, I got to know you through this film, Boy State, which follows you and, and a number of other young men through this, this leadership program in Texas. And you, you stand out from the beginning. And one of the reasons you stand out is you're clearly different from a lot of the people around you. And you own that and, and you live into that. But that also makes it complicated. Can you just talk about what it felt like you're in this world of students from uh, all over Texas, pretty conservative group, overwhelmingly white group. You wouldn't be there if you were not a talented, ambitious young man. What was going through your mind as you first started getting to know the people who were going to be your peers for that week? Well, I will say that uh, everything about the entire experience was just a pleasant little surprise for me because I didn't do any research. I had no idea what was going on. I guess my initial feelings were, of course, very anxious, uh, my mother was very much so vocal about the fact that I was different and that they could possibly lead to some complications. And I was 100 percent prepared just, you know, shut up and stick it throughout the entire week. <laughs> but I think it was by the time that I realized that, you know, I couldn't couldn't stand to hear so many lies in the speeches. And um, there was a camera that that kind of emboldened me to take the step that I did to realize that, OK, cool, this difference makes me. Uh, stand out, but now it's a perfect opportunity for me to weaponize it. And, and what did that mean in your case? What did it mean to weaponize your difference? And, and who are you weaponizing it against and who are you weaponizing it for? The best part about difference is that you stick out like a sore thumb. You're going to draw attention to you either way. So it just depends on uh, how you're going to draw that attention to yourself. I always find that being a Black and queer person that, you know, they always are going to watch you twice as hard, hmm. which means that they're listening to what you're saying regardless. And so I, get, I delivered a speech that was very true to my heart. And I tried to I tried to weaponize my difference in the sense that I argued for bipartisanship. I argued for this um, desire to you know follow the other side using kind of what they didn't expect out of me to, to get the rise out of the audience. Interesting. And you can see, I mean, one of the things that makes the film so dynamic is watching you have this effect on your audience. I can see in your eyes that you're realizing the effect that your power is having on you, right? Your ability to guide an audience to a certain place. Uh, I'm wondering what you take from that experience. You know, I'm almost thinking of some of these, like a sci-fi plot where somebody lives, you know, a, a decade in an alternate reality and then they come right back to where they were, right? Like all of this plays out over the course of a week, this dramatic set of experiences, you become the state party chair, which is a very important role in this simulation. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm watching you and your peers that I feel as invested in your simulated <laughs> elections as I did in real ones that I've been involved in. And then a week later, you're, you're back to your life. Did it change you? Absolutely. Um, I walked into Boy State wanting to be a senator. I thought that was the perfect, you know, retirement plan. 
you know, I didn't necessarily have to go to school for a particular thing. Um, and I hear the pension is great. Um, and so that was kind of what was motivating me when I went to Boys State and I actually ran for the Senate. I lost my very first few elections. And that's kind of where I ended up in the position where I was doing state party chair and my entire plans changed. My view of politics uh, changed because I prepared to engage it from Congress. Mm-hmm. Now I was dealing with the nitty gritty electoral stuff. Hmm. It was kind of humbling experience. I really enjoyed the fact that I was responsible for so much, but it also made me realize what that power could do. There's a whole bunch of 17 year old boys and I saw them replicate some of the same dirty electoral and racist tactics that we have seen play out on the screen for years. I mean, why wouldn't they? They're 17. They haven't had any other political experience. But now that politics is framed from outside of this realm of respectability to this uh, one-on-one mudslinging show, they were able to reproduce that. And I realized that is the inevitable future I was going to face in politics. So I had to find a way to engage politics from a third-party perspective, something separate from electoral politics, but in a way that I could still act on my passion. So I think a lot of people, especially people who are involved in politics, who see a leader of your capacity emerging and, and being shaped, hope very much that you would run for office. But you're saying no, uh, that the, you walked away with out of this program, which is designed to make you want to be more involved in politics, right? Can you walk us through that distinction? What's the difference between walking away from the world, walking away from involvement, mm-hmm. uh, which I think it sounds like you're not doing? Right. Um, but how can how can you walk away from a political process that's such an important part of how the world is shaped? You know, for one, I think we do this unfair thing where we frame civic engagement through just getting out to the polls politics. Mm-hmm. And that completely ignores another very important part of the functioning system. I call it the knowledge gap. Because you can't ask me to advocate for people to get out to the polls when we have long waiting lines. Are you asking me to... You know, tell the single mother of multiple children that she shouldn't work and that she shouldn't be voting and that she's wrong for not doing so. And that was something that I was trying to, you know, conflict. I was trying to I was trying to understand. I was like, did I have to stay within this voting realm? And so for me, I didn't know what it would look like to be involved without engaging in electoral politics until about a few months ago. Hmm. Um, I've been engaging with protest, you know, and actively I've seen that protest turn over to some resolutions within our city to defund the police, a necessary step. So for me, I feel like involvement now is taking a look at the system, understanding what is fundamentally flawed with it, and then protesting, engaging in some form of civic responsibility, because now you you have the responsibility and the power to fix it. Hmm. But how do you get that power if it's not through the polls? What's your kind of theory of change? Uh, my theory of change right now is, uh, I guess, shock and awe when these demonstrations for major change are, is happening. Every single time, you know, we're telling you what needs to happen. And so I'm just trying to figure out what kind of demonstrations are visceral enough for the public to recognize that. Hmm. 
So you're an undergraduate. I'm teaching undergraduates right now for the first time. Nice. And, and it is fascinating for me, uh, although it, it entails something I don't like doing, which is acknowledging that I'm no longer the same generation as college students. Uh, but there's almost exactly 20 years between me and, and you and, and most of the students that I encounter. And so I think back to when I was in college. And at the time, especially pre 9-11, the dominant mood for my generation of young people, I think, was irony. We we built mm. up irony as a kind of defense uh, because if you seemed totally sincere and committed to anything, whether it was a political agenda or just a belief or an idea, it made you vulnerable to being made fun of or to being disappointed. And so people developed these layers of irony. Maybe that's just also part of being young. But what I sense in your generation of students is that there's a kind of earnestness compared to when I was a student and also at the same time, a kind of cynicism. And you write in this very powerful uh, New York Times op-ed about your experience. You, you describe yourself as, as cynical in many ways. You said, uh, I've grown increasingly cynical about the system itself. And yet what you're describing is definitely not walking away from, from everything. So how do you make sure that cynicism doesn't mean just giving up on the systems that, that clearly need to change and won't change on their own? I will definitely say that our generation is more cynical and definitely much more earnest because we're now inheriting a country at a very strange time. Mm -hmm. We are not like previous generations where we have 20, 40 years before, behind us that allows us to understand that the system, you know, could work for us. We don't have mm -hmm. that. We've only seen failure. Additionally, I do believe that my cynicism is what fuels me. And I think it's because we have a toxic view of the word cynic. Hmm. We believe that cynic stops just in the thought space. I think negatively about something, so I'm going to do nothing about it. That's completely wrong. You just need to have, I guess, enough criticism built up within you to realize that's what's going to motivate me to actually make some real change. And so I kind of see this thing where uh, we believe that patriotism and cynicism have to be devoid from one another. but if you know that this great thing that you love so much has, you know, a fatal flaw, wouldn't you raise a, a stink enough to make people want to fix it? Hmm. So cynicism is nothing to be scared of at all. Interesting. It's just a very natural first step to the consciousness of the public. So now this makes me curious about what you mean when you say patriotism. It sounds like you're not talking about nationalism. You're talking about something you might identify with even though you're very clear-eyed about the weaknesses and the flaws of the, of the system. So what does it mean to you to be patriotic? Oh, to be a patriot means to love the country, and with love comes accountability. Hmm. Patriotism was reframed after 9-11 to being that the United States is some uh, actor that isn't culpable for any of its actions because it's always actively defending us. But with that kind of toxic mentality, you never understand the ways that America can hurt people. Mm. And therefore, we kind of get stuck up in our own enamored relationship with this country that we don't wish to see it any better. Patriotism also requires civic engagement and people over country. For you to love something so much, but never act upon that love makes me wonder, is that actual love? It's kind of like what my mama always said, is if it's not love, it's lust. And patriotism is like a lust for this country and cynicism is a love for it. So how hopeful are you about the possibility of 
people to change. This isn't just about beating people, but there's also some folks you're never going to reach. I think about this when I go on Fox News, right? Absolutely. Um, so, so how do you, you're a debater, right? And part of the debate is about winning, but part of real debate is about persuasion. How do you square that in your account of where we're headed? So I think the best way, I think that I can incorporate this idea where, uh, you know, people who aren't necessarily as progressive existing in a space where we desperately need some major change. Because like we have to remember that people change and it's up to the institution to react. Mm. And in order to do that, I think elections if, uh, for this one is like pretty interesting because it's kind of like this idea that we are choosing who we want to pressure. And an election allows for the democratic process for everyone to first have that opinion. And then when you allow the pressure to, uh, to enter in for you know necessary change, um, like abolish ICE or to protect black and brown bodies in the streets from police executions is when we start to see the special interests of the community play through. And it's kind of this, I, this concept of the beloved community. You're right. Maybe it's not so much about defeating one another or reaching one another, but rather protecting and nurturing your ideology. I believe that it's up to communities of color where they oftentimes, you know, are having, are being gaslighted about the situation that they are in. It is up to them to, you know, advocate and to, and to, and to have a voice. In doing so, they are creating community connections within one another, which ultimately is just better for the future of the advocacy of that space. And then they're also humanizing the struggle. Hmm. And I think a lot, of just, a lot of this idea of what we need to change and what we need to fix, we keep so much in this abstract thought space that we forget that there's a very human need for it at the end of the day. So ultimately, we just need to amplify the fact that there's a human need for it. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s, dance away with hip-hop beats, and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why GameBridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. 
In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. GameBridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Bring it Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. So... What's going on with your peers? I mean, do you, do you feel like your generation is going to be more active or do you feel like, I, I know I always felt like I was kind of a minority in terms of interest in politics and public affairs and, and civic things. It wasn't exactly cool. Your generation seems to be kind of more active and engaged, but maybe that's from the outside looking in. How would you describe it and how does it feel on campus and with the, the people you spend time with? Maybe you're right. Maybe it is just from the outside looking in. Hmm. I think the brilliant thing about social media is that it connects so many of us to have very important conversations and discourse. Mm. But oftentimes social media looks like a final resting ground for a lot of folks' activism, you know, performative stuff. Like I was very upset a few months ago when they blackout Tuesday and I saw a whole bunch of people like do it. And I was like, you realize the whole point of blackout Tuesday was to clog the feed so there wasn't any information about black lives matter but when you have your head so wrapped up and what can i do performatively you don't think completely through your actions so what i'm saying is with my peers i do feel as if there's a major sense of engagement however i do not think they're listening to the right voices mm. and because the internet creates such a fantastic echo chamber because if you spoke into one black person we would have told you why you should have not engaged in the blackout tuesday post so, so in that, let's take up the topic of well-intentioned white progressives. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I think part of what's given people a lot of hope in, especially the the response to the murder of George Floyd, is that this has been a very multiracial response and awakening. But of course, the experience of this activism is radically different if you're actually black or a person of color than if you're a white American trying to figure out how to be an ally. How do you kind of resolve or navigate these tensions among your own peers? It's, it's, it really just feels like the main disconnect between, you know, everyone is just the knowledge gap is that the violence and oppression that people experience is very much so preferential and like to the individual, right? Like the experience of queer folks is not going to be the experience of black folks, especially black queer folks. Again, you may understand that like we all live and leave, lead different lives, but I don't think people genuinely internalize that. You genuinely cannot understand why I face the things I do and how I feel about the things that I do and my perception about that. And I think that is a, such a major um, a step is just internalizing that difference. Also having real empathy for um, 
you know, the communities? Is it because you don't believe us when we are talking about how to solve our oppression? Is it because there's something about me that isn't, you know, convincing? Hmm. Is, or is it because you're trying to preserve your comfort? Either way, those are your three choices. The only way that I think you're acting on empathy is when we begin to see true change. The other thing I really wanted to ask you about is your perspective on what success looks like in the medium term. Like, this decade is clearly going to decide so much for our country. So a decade from now, it's 2030. Uh, you're approaching the age of 30. And we're looking back on the 2020s. What would have to happen for us to be able to say that the 2020s got us toward where our country needs to go? And what would be the work remaining to be done? I think the one tangible marker, I think, of success for the 2020s is that we've abolished the two-party system hmm. and made it impossible to campaign under a binary. Wow. And replaced it with what? Maybe parliamentary system, you know what I'm saying? Require coalitions. Because we got to start reminding... like. Here's what I like about this election. Yes, this election sucks. Feels really bad right now. But this is a great opportunity for us to remind our politicians that they have to earn our vote again. And because if we have coalitions and if we are electing representatives to then grant our head of state the power, it's a clear reminder that we are putting you in this job. Wait, just like Marvin Gaye's dad, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. I get how difficult it is to expect optimism from a generation that has grown up with some of the greatest struggles in our modern history. The post 9-11 wars, the 2008 crash and its aftermath, the Trump presidency, climate change, you name it. I remember the sense of hope that came for so many my age with the 2008 election of President Obama, and then the dramatic gains and setbacks that followed. But Renee speaks for many his age who reached voting age during the Trump era and feel that they have seen only failure from policymakers in charge of trying to make their lives better. I'm glad to see that for someone like Renee, naive optimism is out of the question, but so is disengagement. And I'm glad to see his generation insisting on being heard. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2 and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.